0: All right, Uh, it is good to see you this Sunday morning. I just got done with the uh, first service over there, and uh, thanks for the setup. Uh, If you are not... returning, uh, or haven't been with us the last few weeks, we've been in the series, I Am His Story. uh, And in this series, maybe you've gathered this already, we've been hearing stories from some of our own St. Peter family, and then also uh, tying that together with stories of Scripture, and looking for how God is present and active, and how he transforms us, even through some of the hard things in life that we Will experience. And that'll be part of the theme that we're going to hear about today as well. Uh, Starting with the story of Jesus and a woman that he interacted with at a well in Samaria, recorded for us in John chapter 4. And we don't have time today to go through the entirety of that chapter. It's really good content. I'd love for you to go back and maybe read it on your own this week. But we're going to pick up midway through the story. Uh, where Jesus has started a conversation with this woman at the well. She said, why in the world are you talking to me, uh, a Samaritan woman, uh, and you are a Jewish man? And then they start to have a conversation about living water, and she's intrigued and drawn closer to him. And it's at that point in the story where Jesus says this, go and get your husband. And she replied, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now it's interesting uh, how Jesus uh, brings up this very, very sensitive topic that I imagine this woman uh, carried with her everywhere she went. After all, she was at the well in the hottest part of the day, uh, the middle of the day, uh, and instead of going to the well with all the women in the community, that normally uh, would have been the case. So we know that already about her, that she's somehow or another um, not connected in community. And here, Jesus identifies the source of her deep, deep hurt. Now, we don't know the rest of her story, And so we can only speculate as to how it is that she ended up with five failed marriages and then now she's living with someone that is not her husband. It's possible, this is just conjecture, but it's possible that for some of these five, uh, the marriages ended in divorce. Or it's possible that some or maybe all of them ended in her husband dying. And in the custom in in that day, uh, that woman would often remarry someone else in that husband's family line so that the family tree could continue intact. Whatever the case was, uh, we knew that we can tell that in this moment she was carrying with her some deep hurt, maybe some regrets and some pain from the past, And it's worth noting that when Jesus brings this subject up, he doesn't do so in a way that is accusatory. He doesn't condemn her for her past. In fact, he doesn't pass any judgment on her whatsoever. But in a highly invitational way, he brings to the surface that which is perhaps most hurtful and painful in this woman's life. Now, what's interesting is what happens next in the story. Immediately after Jesus identifies this deep hurt and pain that she was carrying with her to the well that day, she changes the subject and she says, Sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Now in the flow of the conversation, this seems like an abrupt hard left turn. And and it's led me at times and others probably to speculate. Maybe she's trying to move the conversation away from the sensitive stuff and and try to distract Jesus with his topic. Um, Recently, I was listening to a friend's podcast. He's a pastor in Michigan, and he's also a Messianic rabbi. So he's teaching through the Bible from a first-century Hebraic perspective. And uh, he caused me through his uh, study of this to rethink some of my assumptions. Uh, And the first would be this. Maybe she wasn't trying to move on from the topic at all, but maybe recognizing that she had in front of her one of the wisest teachers of that day, she wanted to go in-depth into a theological conversation that she'd been wrestling with herself throughout her whole life. So maybe there's more to this woman than we have often assumed. Now, why would she ask that question? If we're to take a look at the map of the Holy Land today, uh, this has been on our minds a lot lately with the ongoing uh, conflict down in Gaza Strip. Uh, That lighter portion of the map is what's called the West Bank. And in the middle of it, toward the north, you can see there identified Mount Gerizim. Uh, That is today and was in Jesus' day the homeland of the Samaritan people. Uh, This map, the zoomed out portion on the left, shows you Judea to the south where Jerusalem was by the north side of the Dead Sea. Galilee to the north by a Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus was uh, raised and did most of his ministry. And directly in between is this land of Samaria. Uh, On the right, you can see the route Jesus probably would have taken uh, going from Jerusalem through Samaria, which most uh, honest, uh, faithful Jewish people would have avoided at all costs. But he went there on a mission. In fact, John tells us it's necessary for Jesus to be there. And why might that be the case? Well, what's interesting is what Jesus says to his disciples after the woman that he had had the conversation with left the well and went into the village to tell others what had happened. We're told that Jesus said to his disciples, the fields are already ripe for harvest. But the word he uses for ripe isn't the word ripe, it's the word white. And I find it fascinating, Rabbi Chad uh, showed this to us, that the traditional garb of Samaritan people in Jesus' day and still today, you can see it in this picture, is long flowing white robes that they would wear for all of their major worship gatherings and festivals. And so you can imagine at that very moment, Jesus taking a look at the Surrounding countryside, and maybe there were pockets and places where people were gathered there at that very moment in these white robes. And Jesus says, The fields are white and ready for the harvest. That is to say, why was he in Samaria? Why was he at the well? And what was the role of this woman in all of it? It was that Jesus had a mission to redeem and restore the world, and that included even those people that were at odds with the people of Israel, their old ancient enemies, Jesus said, he wants to invite into his family. And how is he going to do that? Let's take a look at what happens next. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Now that may not be the only thing she said, maybe she elaborated more, we don't know, but that was the heart and the center of her good news to those people. The thing that for her was perhaps her greatest hurt and shame in the hands and in the presence of Jesus was transformed. Her story become a powerful story for God's presence and his redemption for her and then through her for all of her family and friends, for all those in her community who are ready to hear. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and to believe. So what can we gather from this woman and her story at the well? It was this, um, the condition of your life before meeting Jesus does not determine the power of your story after he transformed you. This woman carried with her to the well that day some deep hurt, but Jesus said, the thing that shames you the most is actually what I can use to most boldly and powerfully proclaim my transformation, my hope and my healing for you, and then through her, her entire community. And so whatever you carry with you in here today, my friends, I want you to know that regardless of your past or maybe even through it, God is able and desires to do some powerful transforming work. So with that in mind, I'd like to invite forward our storyteller for today, Emily Ford. And uh, this is our third out of four times uh, this weekend, which is not always easy. So, can you give her a warm St. Peter welcome? <laughs> awesome. Emily, uh, let's hear your story.
1: My faith has always been a part of my life throughout my childhood and adulthood, but I did not really know the depth of God's capabilities and how to lean into Him until very recently. From the fall of 2020 to 2022, my family and I experienced a multitude of what has felt like continual struggles in health, finance, family, career, and unexpected events. In isolation, these events may not have felt so heavy, but as they seemed to pile up, I could feel myself falling. I was falling away from myself, the mom, the wife, and the person I strive to be. I was falling from my faith and trust in God, and also the things I typically enjoyed because I was just trying to get through it all. I am usually someone to look for the positive, but I was really struggling through everything. While I did not know the parts of my story coming up, God did, and he placed people in my life through our St. Peter family right at the start of this chapter who would be crucial in helping me grow in my faith through some of the hardest times where it would have been very easy to turn away. While listening to my story, I want you to know that no matter what the struggle or what is happening, God is there and he is purposeful. A time of struggle is not to punish, but to prune and prepare you for what he has waiting for you. I am a teacher and in the fall of 2020, there were so many unknowns of what school would look like. A few weeks before school started, I was told I would have a third, fourth, fifth grade ESL classroom and we were starting all virtual. With the pandemic going on, we knew the school year would be difficult, so I just did what I always did and tried to figure out a way to make it happen. Two months later, we went half in person and half virtual, and I was told that I was having two second graders added to my class. So now I had second, third, fourth, and fifth graders in my class. Throughout this year, all while the pandemic was going on, my stress levels were drastically higher than a typical year, and it really impacted my mental and emotional health. I wanted my students to have as much of a normal year as possible through all of the changes, but also experience the grade level they were supposed to be in, even though I had four levels in my class. My work and home life balance was non-existent, and unfortunately my family were the ones who suffered. Our oldest daughter, McKenna, has always had anxious tendencies, but during this time her anxieties increased exponentially and became debilitating. She was struggling to function and go anywhere, even familiar places we have been many times. Her panic attacks were happening more frequently and were much more intense. We knew we needed to get her support, but during the pandemic, that wasn't easy. As a parent, when your child suffers, you suffer. I found myself blaming myself, giving in to the lies that it is my fault. I am not a good enough mom for her. I was not able to be there for her because of the work, my work consuming my time. I could feel myself falling even more. During the spring of this year, my husband Jared's work asked him to temporarily change shifts, to work three 12-hour days and then be off for four. This sounded okay. It was only supposed to last three to four weeks, and while it caused a huge shift in our home life and how we managed it, on top of my work already consuming all my time, it was temporary, we could do this. Well, it turned into four 12-hour days and ended up lasting four months. I started feeling really stretched, thinner and thinner, just trying to survive and wonder why. Why us? What did I do wrong? The lies kept coming. I am not enough. I am not enough for my students. I am not enough for my children. Fast forward to the fall. School was back to normal. Jared's work schedule was back to normal. And McKenna was finally making some small breakthroughs in her anxiety. All right, fresh start. We've got this. Well, then right as the school year started, our sewer line collapsed, and we had to have our yard dug up and the pipe replaced. Shortly after that, our refrigerator broke. Unexpected financial struggles, but we can make it work. We'll figure this out. A few months after that, our neighbor unfortunately had a medical emergency that caused him to temporarily lose consciousness while backing out of his driveway and ended up crashing into our house. This happened four years to the day we had completed a massive remodel. Our landscaping was destroyed, the front wall of our family room was destroyed, and we had no power in half of our main level. Unfortunately, after staying in the hospital for some time, our neighbor also passed away. Shortly after we found out, we found out that our neighbor's insurance was not going to cover any of the damages. So we had to go through our insurance and pay our deductible to get started. Another very unexpected finance. This process ended up not being a quick one either. It took two months for us to temporarily have power back in half of our house. We had a tarp to cover the hole to protect us from the elements, cracked drywall and trim jutting out into our room, and windows that did not work. We couldn't touch or try to fix anything ourselves until it was inspected by insurance and the company who was going to fix the damage. It took a full year for the repairs to finally happen and our house to be restored back to normal. Again, a long period of why. Why us? Why does this happen? Who does this happen to besides us? Jared and I really started to feel as though bad things just happened to us. Although I know God does not punish, He has a reason for everything. I was really having an internal battle of lies and the truth. Shortly after the crash, Jared's work schedule changed again for what was supposed to be temporary to work three 12 hour days and then be home for four. This, again, did not last and turned into three 12-hour days and four 9-hour days. He was never home and physically tired. Our kids suffered from rarely seeing him, and I was stressed trying to manage both our roles, and our relationship was strained. During this time, McKenna's anxiety started to manifest in different and new ways, and her school day was really deeply impacted. Socially, she was struggling with bullies at school. When your child suffers, you suffer. Again, the questions of why. Why does this struggle keep happening to our child? In the middle of this reoccurrence, we had to make the awful decision to put down our family dog, PJ. She lived a wonderful 12 years, but her health made a sudden and quick turn, and the vets couldn't do anything more. PJ was our first baby. She was there when we brought home our three children from the hospital, and she was the best emotional support from McKenna. One snuggle from PJ, and you could see the panic and anxiety just fade away from McKenna's face. Our family was devastated and our hearts left in pieces. The questions again of why, and the ideas of, of course, this would happen now because it's us, just seemed to be the truth. Throughout this year, I had also been struggling with my own health. For a while, I suspected I had endometriosis and the pain and the symptoms had gotten to the point where my daily life was being impacted. I had every symptom of this disease except by the grace of God, difficulty having children. I brought it up to my doctor and he was very dismissive of my symptoms and just said it was just my body. He wanted to try a bunch of different medicines that would only mask the symptoms. I agreed at first, but found the side effects to be awful. Through my own research, I realized this was not the route to go. I tried advocating for myself while going through months of what he wanted, but he would not listen. Eventually, I found a doctor in a new practice and she heard me. She was up to date on the latest research. Not only did she agree with me, but she suspected I had adenomyosis, which I did not have much knowledge of. She wanted to try a new medication first that was supposed to help shrink the disease. She found it either worked in some patients or didn't work. I agreed, but again, the side effects were awful and made little difference for me. We came to the point where surgery was the only option. I needed a hysterectomy and excision of all of the disease. While I knew I needed surgery for the quality of my life, it was still major and it was scary. One thing about endometriosis is it does not always show up on imaging and the only way to confirm is through surgery. All of the negative thoughts came back. What if there's a complication? What if I'm wrong? I bet they won't find anything. I ended up having the surgery November of 2022. Not only was it confirmed that I had adenomyosis and endometriosis, but it had spread to multiple organs and was deeply embedded, which meant I had most likely had this disease my entire life. With the severity of the disease found, it is truly only through the grace of God that we were able to have our three children. They are truly miracles, and my thoughts were finally validated." We missed Thanksgiving that year due to my recovery, so everyone was really looking forward to Christmas that year. We were finally going back to our large family celebrations after the pandemic, but then two days before Christmas, McKenna tested positive for COVID. We were not going to see family. The day before Christmas Eve, we had a deep freeze in temperatures and we discovered a severely frozen pipe in our house. We could not find a plumber who would come over since we had COVID in the house and it was Christmas. Jared did everything he could to carefully thaw the pipes. He stayed up all night watching our space heaters. For the length of time our pipes were frozen, they should have burst. Again, through the grace of God, they did not. Christmas morning, our other daughter, Audrey, then tested positive for COVID. Our kids were devastated. They were not going to see any family that year, but we made the most of it. During the same year, I had changes in my job to a position that had always been a goal of mine, but I did not know the right time. It was the right time after the year I had. I needed a change and I needed a better balance between work and home. It was a wonderful year and I was finally happy in my job. We had just come back from that winter break and I was told the position was being eliminated and changed to a district wide position instead of being building based. Also, I had one week to decide what I wanted to do because interviews for the new position were in two weeks. Again, the questions of why. Why is this happening when I was finally in a good place? I struggled and prayed on what to do. I had a week to decide if I leave the building that had been my second family and home for the last 15 years to take on a new position that was intriguing to me, but would push me out of my comfort zone in many areas and something I never envisioned for myself. I ultimately decided to turn it over to God. I applied and interviewed. God was already there in the result. He knew my story. I ended up being offered the position and accepted it. While in the moment of my career struggles with the second, third, fourth, and fifth grade blended classes and having my dream job gone after a short period of time and questioning why, I now know, looking back, that it was God's hand in my story in preparing me for a position that was not even on my radar. God knows the result even when the process feels hard. Throughout these couple years, we had also lost four family members and between two of our kids had four fractured or sprained bones. As I said in the beginning, most of these events in isolation would not have had the impact they did on us, but they really piled up. A group of women God placed in my life right at the beginning were my constant reminder to lean into God, trust my story that ultimately becomes his story. Where else do I turn in a season of struggle? I was able to lean into God and lay struggles down to him through scripture and song. Psalm 31, 3-5 says, For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead and guide me. You take me out of the net, they have hidden for me. You are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. One of my favorite songs that I listened to on repeat and allowed me to take refuge in Jesus was Peace. If you are feeling a struggle right now, I really hope that these lyrics can help you too. When my mind is like a battlefield and my heart is overcome by fear, and hope seems like a ship that's lost at sea, my enemies on every side, and I'm tempted to run and hide, your gentle whisper reaches out to me peace. Holds me down when I'm broken, sweet peace that passes understanding. When my whole wide world is crashing down, I fall to my knees and breathe in your peace. I remember who you are. You're the God who's never far, so I will not be afraid, God. You always keep me safe in your arms. Peace.
0: Can we give thanks, God, for Emily and her courage to share her story with us today? Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite some of you forward to pray uh, for Emily. But uh, while you're getting ready for that, I had, um, one thing you might notice, uh, Emily, was uh, the reoccurrence of the devil's lies that were trying to kind of lead you maybe into an even darker place. And then the power of community, Christian community around you that helped you identify those lies with and battle against them. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that happened?
1: So the Christian community um, that I was in was a Bible study I was asked to be a part of. Really came out of nowhere, I wasn't expecting it. And in the moment, my life was so insane I didn't know if I could take one more thing on myself but I really felt this internal urge yes, do this. This is the right time. So I accepted it. And it's through that Bible study that I was really able to lean into scripture way more than I had ever done in my life before. And through that scripture and through that community, I was able to combat those lies and know that it's not the truth. God doesn't punish. God's not trying to hurt me and what he's trying to do with my story and transform me through this group and through combating those lies.
0: Mm. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Whenever I'm in a Bible study group or a small group of some kind. It, I usually have no desire to go in the moment because I'm tired, I'm busy. There's a lot of other things to do. But after the fact, I'm like, man, that was exactly what I needed in that, in that place. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, Who would like to come forward and pray for Emily today? Come on up. I'll go ahead and take that mic. it before that's all right you're gonna do a great job let us please pray for emily
1: and all her family you can hear the love that god had for them and has for them what they had to overcome was great but not greater than god Mm -hmm. so we pray for you we share god's love with you And thank you for sharing your story with us.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you. And thanks for getting the courage to get up and pray on the spot. That takes a lot of courage, too. God is good. Uh, Hey, before we move on from this, we want to give you some space to process what God might be saying to you this morning. Uh, So here's a few here in practice questions. If you're on your own, you can reflect on this. If you're with someone, lean over and share uh, what may come to mind, and then we'll close out our service in just a couple moments.